Well, hello, everyone. It's Peter Nicholas Dunn. Pete the Planner. It's the Pete the Planner podcast show and live stream experience. <laughs> Joining me this week, you know, uh, if you're watching on the live stream right now, by the way, uh, it's a one shot of me and it's about to go to a, uh, a shot of who else or whoever else is joining me today on the podcast. Uh, you, you can't see anything. Uh, however, I'm about to reveal today's co-host or co-hosts. Let's see who joins us on the PTP experience. It's Damien Dunn, not my brother. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Oh, man. So, Dame, listen up. Uh, we are in a scenario in which... Uh, miscellaneous is under the weather so she is not with us here today uh i would assume she's viewing uh alongside of us because that's what she does when she's not working good day to jameson uh all-time best listener or whatever your title is good to be with you uh hello jeremiah who shows up as facebook user for whatever reason uh jeremiah i hope you can stick around it won't be a long show we got stuff to do andy welcome back hello um all right dame here's what we got on the show today you saw the article this week. I saw the article this week. Deflation. And J.O. Danza. Hello. Uh, deflation is like the hot topic now. You mm -hmm. know, uh, so Kathy Wood is talking about it, who's a hedge fund manager. We've got Elon Musk now talking about deflation. So we're going to talk about like, how can there be deflation when we've got record inflation? And by the by record inflation, I'm not sure it's record inflation, but you just say that. From time to sure, time, you know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Um, I don't have you blocked, Jeremiah. I promise <laughs> I don't. I really, <laughs> I really don't. I don't know. I don't know how anything works. Um, and then, Dame, we're going to talk about financial urgency and what happens when you don't act on urgency. The third segment is going to be regret. So that's what we're doing this week. Of course, biggest waste of money of the week in the news. Dame, I was in New Orleans and Baton Rouge earlier this week. Baton Rouge on Monday, New Orleans on Tuesday. I ate a lot of food. Mm, but it was delicious. It was. I introduced Aqua Greg to beignets. He'd never had a beignet, so we did that. I introduced Aqua Greg to Sazeracs. He'd never had Sazeracs. We introduced... And needless to say, I'm a horrible influence is what I'm saying to you. <laughs> Does um, uh, Aqua Greg uh, drink local water when he goes places or is it strictly bottled? Uh, Aqua Greg and I went into a few corporate um, conference rooms in which he made a, a is it a V line or a B line? What, when you say it's a B line, well, I, I sort of blend it because I don't know what it is. Is it a B line? B E E? I think it's a B line. Okay. He made a beeline for the mini fridge filled with water. No one even said, hey, can I get you water? He ran there <laughs> as though he had just walked the desert for years and needed to wet his whistle, so to speak. Uh, so Aqua Greg will deliver even at below sea level. Um, good morning, Rick Swink. Good to be with you. You know, you ever see how Rick Swink uh, in the live uh, chat he says, good morning. I don't know, Rick. We've gotten to know him on this show just digitally mm -hmm. here or whatever this is virtually. I can hear him saying that somehow. You know what I mean? See, whenever I see somebody type it out like that, I immediately think good morning, Vietnam. Me too. Yeah. All right, Dame. Um, anything going on in your life that, that people would uh, want to hear about? <laughs> no, definitely not anything. Not anything that would bring the show up. Yeah. 
Oh, Dame. Um, I did feel like I had something that was interesting. Mm, I don't know. Well, it'll come. All right, Dame. So let's do this. Deflation. Deflation, deflation, deflation. In three, two, one. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. And here's what happens next. Sometimes nothing. It, like it, it, you spit into the abyss and nothing hits you back in the face. Or we answer your email on the air. Joining me this week is co-host Damian Dunn, no relation, vice president of advice at your money line. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Kristen Alanius, our other co-host, is off this week yet again, and the radio dials turn to another station. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this week on the show, we're going to talk deflation. We're going to talk about financial urgency and the uh, downturn of a lack of urgency. We're going to talk about financial regret and, of course, biggest waste of money of the week and news. Dame, earlier this week, I sent you an article that says Kathy Wood's contrarian deflation call gets endorsements from Elon Musk and Jeffrey Gundlach. Uh, I want you to understand something that Kathy Wood is a, uh, a very prominent uh, hedge fund manager, and she has been concerned about deflation for quite some time. And Elon Musk has joined her camp in that regard. And that's a jarring, alarming thing to hear when we're dealing with what is about 10% inflation right now. When you first saw this story this week, how do you even... How do you get your head around it? And how is the sort of average investor supposed to get their head around this idea that we could be facing facing deflationary environment? I think on the face of it, a lot of people would hear deflation and they'd probably, initial reaction would probably be, thank goodness, you know, prices are going to slow down and come back to earth a little bit. But that's not exactly the sort of deflation we're, we're talking about here. I mean, we're talking about some very, very disruptive deflation to the point where uh, people are losing jobs. Companies are paring back. Uh, stock market is in big turmoil. And we are um, in a very difficult time period to recover from. So it'd be a, a really quick whiplash from prices are going up, going up, going up. And then, well, prices are coming down. That's good. But there's going to be a lot of other uh, fallout that comes along with it. Wood specifically has been warning about deflation since last year on the belief that disruptive innovation will push down the price of obsolete goods and artificial intelligence will help reduce production cost. She has since doubled down on her call as a number of leading indicators, which she watches are pointing to deflationary forces instead of inflationary Forces. Yeah, you know, Dame, what, what's fascinating about this is you do think with prices of goods come down, then people can more readily afford them. But what ends up happening is the company starts the throttle supply of those goods, which is what leads to layoffs. I was doing some reading around this this week. And for the most part, and that's a very broad, vague uh, modifier there, economists think deflation is bad, right? It is is most often considered to be bad. But in 2015 in Switzerland, there was actually a case in which deflation was good. So in early 2015, Switzerland's central bank introduced negative interest rates. We need to pause and breathe for a second here. Dame, how in the world would a negative interest rate work? 
Uh, basically, you end up paying the bank a fee to leave your money on deposit there. Greece, I think, if Greece didn't go negative, they were really, really close uh, over the last few years. But um, yeah, it's it's the bank doesn't pay you to to use your money; you pay the bank to leave it there. Okay, I gotta I gotta double pause here. I threw that to you, not knowing what you were gonna say, because I just didn't know what it meant to have negative interest rates. That's real. Are you making that up, or is that real? You pay the bank to hold your money. Well, I don't think the bank is the one that actually gets it, but uh, it, it gets passed on. But it, it, instead of uh, you getting receiving interest, you are the one paying interest. All right. So uh, Switzerland Central Bank introduced negative interest rates in an attempt to curb investor demand for the country's overvalued currency. The debt crisis in neighboring countries in combination with economic instability in Eastern Europe economies had driven up demand for the Swiss franc by investors looking for a currency safe haven. Now, this is where this gets interesting because they did this to cause deflation. They, they stoked deflation. In the aftermath, economists expected the Swiss economy to go into a recessionary tailspin. On the contrary, the economy grew and the country posted a low unemployment rate of 3.3% in 2016. Overall, the country experienced a net increase in spending power by Fed-induced deflation. Wow. Boy. I mean, you talk about pulling all sorts of levers. And if we don't even look at that in isolation, if we take the, the bigger picture of what we've been dealing with for the last two and a half years and all the different things that uh, different forces have tried to, to stoke um, spending in our economy and then trying to slow it down and, and then potentially starting it all over again and trying to stoke more econ uh, more spending. Oh my goodness. That seems like a lot of outside influence to try and make the, uh, the, the pain toler tolerable. Do you have a, a general sense or feeling this is, I'm asking your opinion at this point. I know this uh, show is an opinion show and we occasionally give news. And a lot of times we give guidance based on opinion, but I'm asking your opinion now. Do you, do you have a sense, like, do you feel a certain way about the Fed and, and how they, um, I guess, create monetary policy? I, I think they're too active in their, their approach to monetary policy. I'd love for uh, them to let natural cycles take more of a, a you know, effect in, in what we experience on a year-to-year -year basis in the in our economy because when you start getting too active and you start trying to make sure everything stays at just that that right temperature it gets out of control really really quick and if it goes too far one way you may lose you know shoot all your bullets trying to to prevent something and then you don't have anything to do if a real serious emergency happens yeah i don't necessarily disagree here's where i struggle to comprehend this i'm just being honest i mean just because i host a radio show doesn't mean i know everything in fact i i don't know much about much here's where i struggle so um the trump administration and the biden administration put out huge stimulus bills that overheated the economy uh saved the economy whatever you want to say good bad whatever um and i feel like the fed was sort of backed into this corner of well we have to do something to offset that or what is what you're saying is no matter what the federal government chooses to do, the Fed should let it should sort of let it play out. Again, I'm not trying to back you into a corner, but um, is that sort of what you're thinking? I, I think their approaches should be more moderated. Uh, you know, I, if if we have um, periods where things are really tough, 
economically in the country. I think that's just part to part of what we should expect based on our economic system. And we have to try and uh, get over this this desire to take the sharp edges off of stuff and and make everything safe for everybody. I know you can make an argument saying, well, that's just going to help the economy overall and, and build more, um, uh, you know, bring more companies to our shores. But we can't be so involved in creating economic policy where it just becomes almost an, an artificial um, economy that's that's manipulated purely by government intervention. What's fascinating to me is that deflation can be stoked by pushing disruptive innovation, pushing down the price mm -hmm. of obsolete goods. Because to me, disruptive innovation, pushing down the price of obsolete goods sounds like an amazing thing, isn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, are we ever going to get the George Jetson car if we oh, don't man. push down obsolete, you know, the obsolete goods? Did you know that there's a personal drone called the Jetson One that is just being launched in Europe? It's amazing. That I'm going to send you a video later. It's amazing. Please, please do. Is there a tent on top? Uh, there's a roll cage. You could probably put uh, Lexan over it to make it look like a tent. Oh, Lexan? I see what you did there. No, sorry. I, I see what you were tying in there. Yeah. Coming up after the break, we're going to take a look at urgency, as Dame might. Uh, attest. Uh, I'm currently obsessed with urgency. I, I love how our brain reacts to urgency and when it chooses to dismiss the need for urgency. All of that is next right here on the Pete the Planner show. I'm Pete the Planner. Um, the old callback to the Porsche last week is what you were doing there. I thought you were going for the bubble that was on top of the Jetson car. Do you remember back in the day when you'd watch the A-Team or MacGyver and they were amazing shows and if you're watching, let's say, this week's show, um, you didn't have to watch last week's show to know what was going on. Have you noticed that now in, in good shows that people watch of the quality of MacGyver and a team, you have, to, you have to know what's going on. You can't jump in on the seventh episode of you know, Ozark. You'll be so confused. Well, why, why, damn, you're an expert on nothing. Why, why, help me understand that. It's so much easier to catch up, though, with with all the different streaming services that you've got now. They don't have to have standalone episodes. You can, you know, say, "All right, well, you're you missed halfway half of the first season. Just go subscribe to our handy streaming service for nine dollars a month and catch up on that uh, that show, and you're right up with water cooler talk around your company." Did you hear that Netflix is considering going back to uh, periodic release or whatever that's called, whatever it's called, where they just like. One this week, one next week, they're going to not blast the whole series out. I think I had heard something about that. And I have to admit, I am. I, I'm unsure how I feel about that. I know. I'm not sure I care because the reality is there's so much other stuff to watch. Just let your show. That's what Mrs. Planner and I do. If we if there's a show we like, we just let it build up so we can watch it on our own pace. I think this is uh, much easier for some people, specifically people uh, who are into sports to accept. Than, than others because you, know, you only get one game either some sometimes one game a week sometimes just a game a day but you don't uh, you don't have an entire season dumped in your lap on one day where you can just binge can I make a Queen of England comment uh, yeah sure I read a headline this morning that says did you ever wonder what is going to happen to the Queen's handbags and I thought never have I ever wanted to click on an article less 
than that. I mean, is is that where we're all we are in the study of of the Queen of England's life? Is that we want to know what happens to her purses? Was she really? Were her purses something that people tracked? You know, like you know, she's carrying a bespoke Michael Kors today. I I, I don't know. <laughs> is that a thing? I don't know. But I'll say this: I don't know the answer to your question. I don't know. It's like I, I feel I I know she's one of the most compelling figures in history so people want to know everything about her life and death and everything else i don't know i i i I had like weird celebrity uh news reaction this week like tom brady who you know nfl quarterback now everyone's talking about his marriage in the media i know this is a thing we do i don't know i just feel i feel bad for these people like this critical eye it's just constant it's like this guy's got to answer questions about his marriage at a press conference. That's no good. Seems like Tom could just say there'll be none of that here. And the media would just stop. I mean, imagine, I mean, seriously though, for a second, imagine you're going through marriage trouble and I, and I'm asking you about your marriage trouble on the air. Like imagine that. No, uh, that would stand up and say shows over. Uh, That would be uh, the easiest way I would handle it. I don't, I don't know what, got in my bonnet to uh bring that up but a, a, probably a probably a v-line <laughs> is it v-line or b-line see we said you don't know what got in your bonnet and usually that's a, there's a b in your i bonnet, know i so know i, I know to, okay. i know you're calling it back i i just no. didn't w- want to know it's a b uh however <laughs> rick swink brings up a point i'm sorry the brett Favre <laughs> scandal we do have to talk about that i know v- just a little bit about it Okay, so here's what I know. Um, the state of Mississippi has a, a fund primarily mm-hmm. uh, allocated towards welfare uh, to prefer, provide much-needed uh, services to people who are struggling. And Brett Favre was texting with uh, the governor's people uh, trying to get $5 million allocated uh, towards his daughter's school in order to build a volleyball facility. And he was really sensitive that the public would find out about his request to take $5 million out of a fund set aside to help the poorest people in one of the poorest states, if not the poorest state. And now the public has found out about it. Um, That's terrible. Has texting hurt anybody more than Brett Favre? (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Like his his original texting scandal back in the day i love how how that's been completely swept under the rug you know which is i don't want to compare the two situations they're both awful in their own right congratulations number four yeah yeah favre uh i'm glad i don't spend a lot of time writing this week's topics in the the description of the podcast (laughs) i post it because i mean how would you even and then they talked about (laughs) brett Favre's pictures it's like well, I, they don't they don't try and summarize what we talk about in the breaks do they no i'm saying i have to post the podcast yeah but does, doesn't somebody uh in the the show notes i mean they, they kind of summarize what we talk about or do you try it's and do me that? it's you me <laughs> I'm you have, chief executive officer of, of a 30 person company who posts his own podcast <laughs> that's how we roll i don't know um let's start the segment before i get sad three two 
one back on the pita planner show dame this week in my indianapolis business journal column i explored my current favorite topic and when you are a co-worker of mine sometimes my favorite topic becomes incredibly annoying my current obsession urgency when does it hit you why does it hit you and why when it is when is it called for we sometimes just choose to dismiss it and absolve ourselves of the responsibility in front of us. How often have you thought about or do you consider what you give your attention to and what you feel like needs your immediate response? Oh, man. Uh, multiple times, very frequently on different levels with different perspectives. You know, as a parent, you're always wondering, you know, where should you be you know, putting your attention where she'd be putting your energy and your efforts, uh, is, a you know, an employee and also somebody who has people who report to them. You're always trying to balance where your attention and your focus needs to go. So, you know, trying to determine what has my, uh, what gets my urgency, what gets my attention is, is part of my day multiple times. It's funny you bring up parenting on the way home from soccer practice last night I'm riding our bikes home with my daughter from the soccer fields and she wants to get a, a new social media app for her phone. It's called be real. I don't know. I've looked into it a little bit because she asked and she's explaining why she wants it. And I'm explaining to her that her mother and I don't want her to be on social media because we love her. Mm -hmm. And, um, she's like, well, Hey, let's talk about it some more. And so she's talking about it. She's talking about it. And I said, honey, I got, I got to tell you, I have, there's no urgency for me and, and mom on this topic. And so I don't know, I don't think it's going to get, you know, run up the flagpole to your liking. And she was like, but it's urgent to me. And I, I and, and given what I'm so obsessed with right now with urgency and like when you activate it, it got me thinking in our financial lives, how often we add urgency to something that doesn't need it and other items that need urgency are ignored. Um, you, your team coaches people all week long, hundreds of people. And how often do you think it's a byproduct of misplaced or unallocated urgency? Well, that's a great question. I, I think there are a number of situations that we counsel people through, guide people through that it is a lack of urgency or lack of recognition of, of what should be urgent. But <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, think, <laughs> thinking about, not, thinking um, about gla how glad you have a cough button. Is that yeah, what you're thinking about? Exactly. Uh, you're thinking about your conversation with your daughter. Um, I wonder if she would have been receptive to you trying to explain the difference between important and urgent, because there are some things in our lives and our financial lives, certainly that are uh, important and, and need to be addressed, but they don't fall to the level of or rise to the level of urgency as well. And in our financial lives, we, we see those very same things. I just had a recent conversation with somebody yesterday, actually, where they have very urgent things on their, um, on their plate, but they also have some really important things that they, they need to work on too. But until we can prioritize and get those things that must be addressed, taken care of right now, those important things can wait. Don't lose sight of them, but they, they, they'll be there oh, after you get those urgent things taken care of. In our live stream chat, Jim notes, uh, he's learned to stop reacting to fake fires. Man, that is, that is absolutely the truth. You know, Dane, when I think about urgency in the financial life, I, it's hard for me not to think about 
saving for kids' college education. I know student loans have been the topic of this show for years and especially the last few weeks, but your child is born, you're excited, you're terrified, you feel this sense of responsibility that you've never felt before. And in that moment, you have as many emotions as it should take to stoke <laughs> action, to solve a future problem. Yet the number of people who oh man, this is going to sound judgmental. So I'm trying to pull back a hair. Actually, let me just uh, pre-apologize. Maybe, maybe <laughs> let me go that route. Um, I don't mean to sound insensitive or privileged in what I'm about to say. Is that That's basically setting up an insensitive and a privileged yes. comment, isn't yes. it? Yeah. The moment your child is born, truly the moment your child is born, you have to feel the urge if you plan on sending them to college, if you've talked about it and you've thought about it, you have to act on that day, in that month, to start to set money aside. Because if you're not so moved by watching the creation of life in front of you, the next 18 years of which you should be saving, you will not ever feel so moved other than the guilt potentially associated when they get to middle school or high school of, Oh no, we haven't done it. Is that, am I being too dramatic? No. Do you know what I'd really like to see um, normalized and, and become a, a tradition uh, at a baby shower? I would like one of the traditional gifts to be a 529. It doesn't have to have the kid's name on it yet. It can be the mom's name and her social security number as a beneficiary. And then after the child is born, have it switched over to that, but have some, have the account already set up. If people want to you know, chip in five bucks or whatever, at least the account is established and it's there ready to be used and contributed to for the rest of the kid's life. Yeah. I mean, I, I know the emotions I had when my children were born. I, I know my emotions I've had when they've succeeded and failed and, and they're all great to learn from. Here's what I don't know the feeling of yet. I've never had a high school student. I will have a high school student next year. Now, now I need the cough button. See? But I will have a high school student next year. And as she matriculates through the high school and she makes her way to her junior, senior year, I don't know the emotion that comes with, are we prepared? Because mm -hmm. it is imminent. Uh, in, our, in our house, I mean, it's very likely she goes on to, to college. And so I don't know that emotion. And, and where it is on a scale of magnitude compared to the day she was born but here's what I do know. When time passes, urgency takes on a new spin. And when you look at retirement in, in, in the same lens, it gets pretty scary. What I think happens, though, because of pop culture, I think people put urgency to things like housing and transportation and vacations uh, and in the lifestyle you want people to think you're, you're living. I, I feel like the urgency that may existed and the prudence surrounding it in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s is nearly absent because of how connected we all are and what we want others to, to think about us. Well, you don't see people flexing about their emergency funds or how much they've got set aside in, in a savings account or a, a, a CD portfolio. It just doesn't happen. That stuff is unsexy. I mean, you can't, um, you can't get the views by talking about stuff that people really don't care about. And unfortunately, this is where we've we've headed to in our society. And if we, we want the, the big flashy stuff, we don't care about incrementalism. We want it now and we want to try and, uh, you know, get as much as we can out of life. 
Yeah, you know, Jim's comment earlier about not reacting to fake fires. You know what it really makes me think about is if you are so uh, inclined to watch cable news, um, any of them, any of them, really, the amount of breaking news stories, the, the Chiron always saying breaking news. And, and yeah, technically, in some instances, the news is developing. It's, a, it's more of a developing story than it is breaking news. A lot of times the news broke eight hours ago and it says breaking news. And anytime you see breaking news and you see it in red and white, sometimes there's a siren. There is urgency. There is urgency. It's like feel urgent. And you know what? I won't call it fake news because I'm not going that route. I don't I don't I think that's ridiculous. I will say it is a fake fire, though. It is fake urgency because there's just none. Yeah, I, th- the demand on our attention and our eyes and our minds is never been greater than it is today. And we have to be very discerning on, on what it is. We've all got limited energy and time uh, and attention that, that we can give somebody. And we've got to pay it. We've got to make sure we're putting it in the right place. So what happens when you don't listen to that urgency, the ones you should listen to, then you find yourself in a bad situation and regret sets in. We're going to talk about that next right here on the Pete the Planner Show. How do you deal with financial regret? I don't really like ending the segment by saying, how do you like, <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> um, Jameson just did this yeah. for the Chiron. He oh. said, I didn't get that at first, Jameson. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I didn't I either. Yeah. He's one step ahead. He's meta. All right. I don't know. I mean, I just... We've talked about this before. The idea that we know so many bad or, or emotional things about so many people because they put it out there. Your your, your emotions and your mind is con- you're constantly on edge seeing people react to different things, people you never knew you disagreed with, and it didn't matter you disagreed with them. But you know all of these things that used to be private, but because of social media and because of the media in general, I just... It's so stressful. I think it's got to be so much more stressful to be alive in 2022 than it was in 1982. Yeah, but I, mean, you, I don't know. I mean, when, when, you, when you turn off, I mean, you, when you sleep, that's about it. Uh, other than that, you are tied into this bigger network because you've always got it in your pocket. You know, the whole thing, like, am I the sucker or are they the sucker? You know, and it, it, it involves different aspects and choices you've made in your life. Every time I think about a friend of mine who just really does nothing to do with social media, I mean, just none, none at all. And then unapologetically, like, sorry, man, I just don't do it. Clearly, they are not the sucker. Uh, whatever joy you can get from it, whatever entertainment or news value, like, it is tripled on the other side of what you miss by, by not being involved. Yeah, I, I think about how many different aspects of your life that social media influences. I mean, anywhere from, um, you know, potential health choices to consumer choices to, uh, you know, uh, personal views. I mean, there's just so much influence that is driven into you that if you're just to get rid of it all, you'd probably be a lot happier. I bought software for our company in the last week because of an ad I saw on social media. The pants and shirt I'm wearing and shoes I'm wearing right now were stoked via demand, via social media. So yeah. whether I'm an influencer or not can be debated, but I'm clearly an influenced. Yeah. That's sad. All right. 
you know, I feel like we've done a topic like this in the past, like where we, you and I, um, the, the going forward here, uh, you and I have revealed our biggest financial regrets and maybe how you, you know, because we're talking about how do you deal with financial regret? I know you did um, a number of years ago. I think you did an entire show to your top 10 financial regrets. Um, but I, I think I've, I think we've had at least one segment where we've done it recently or ish, recent ish. All right. So if you can, uh, I've got a, I've got a good list of 10. <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? I, I, I'll put some out there. I'll put some out there. If you want to put some out there to you, you can okay. as well. Um, it's always easier for me to get more critical of myself since my name's on the show. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I like that we've deep heated most of the things around our, our, our company, except that this show, right? <laughs> it's like, maybe we call it something else. You'd the have to look like the skeptical economist. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. What a, how embarrassing. Yes. When, when I think, yeah. When I think about financial regret, which we're about to talk about, sometimes I feel regret, but most of the times I just feel embarrassed. I mean, that's, I don't want to give too much away, but I think that's part of the conversation because I think there's different sorts of regrets. All right. Well, let's discover them in three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking regrets. You know, sometimes when you don't take action in your financial life and you're left to figure out, uh, oh, maybe I should have done something, <laughs> regret can set in. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but if you look in the rearview mirror too often, you will find yourself dragged backwards into things that you cannot change because you don't own a DeLorean. Hmm. So Dame, as you think about financial regret and as we work with people to, to fix what is broken, how, how, how important is retrospection? I, I think it's important to examine where you might have gone wrong or why you didn't take certain steps, but you can't dwell there. You, you have to be able to move on and put it in the past and then actively, actively take steps to make sure that doesn't happen going forward. So maybe uh, what's a common regret, Pete? Let's, uh, let's workshop this a little bit. Let's figure out how we could. Uh... Well, I'll give you my biggest financial regret um, is while I, I saved and invested money from ages 22 to 28, I didn't do the amount I should have. And uh, it, it is <laughs> clearly I'm suffering from regret. I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, but when mm -hmm. I think about it, man, am I filled with regret? I, and, and again, it's not about the, it's not about, I mean, it is about money, but my net worth would possibly be double what it is right now. Had I done what I should have done from 22 to 28. I just had this conversation with a 24 year old last night. And this was, that was the exact thing that I told him is that I, I'm sure I, I you know, contributed to a retirement account. I had savings. I didn't do nearly what I should have been doing and it's going to cost me in the long run because I don't have the same uh, advantage that he's got right now, which is time. And so looking back on it, yep, I screwed it up. Is there anything I can do to fix it? Well, technically, yeah, I could contribute way more. I could save way more money to try and catch up for that. Is that always possible for us? Maybe, maybe not. Because if you come to this realization later in life, there just may not be enough dollars in your your cash flow to make this happen. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to start getting really comfortable with a different future for yourself and come to oh. terms with that 
come to terms with that and then make sure that you're doing everything you can to set yourself for success at that new goal. I realize I do this for a living. I mean, I kind of do this for a living. You, you more do this for a living than I do this for a living, like consulting people on their finances at this point. However, the phrase, what did you say? Get comfortable with a different future. What was the phrase you used? That's probably it. They, they can uh, hit uh, back, you know, 10 or 15 seconds to figure out what exactly what it was. But I like that you didn't say rewind because I don't think that's a thing anymore. It doesn't work. No winding. No. Um, that's a terrifying phrase. I got to be honest. And maybe I, I'm supposed to be like uber positive around. It's just a new reality for you. It's like, well, no, it's like you you think what it's supposed to be you don't take action and the way you deal with the regret is to say i've got to get comfortable with the new reality i know that that's practical it's pragmatic it's smart that that sits it sits hard though no i mean i that's what i've done and i will i will i'll say for me with the not saving money from 22 to 28 the way i really wanted to or should have I didn't have a picture of what my reality would look like at age 22 anyway, mm -hmm. because the reality I had was the reality I was living. I was buying this and going here and doing that. And so it's only in retrospect, mm -hmm. do I, do I look of what the future could have been? That's one of the biggest challenges with this specific regret is that how in the world can you expect somebody who's 25 to figure out what their life is going to look like when they're 75? We, we just don't know. And it's really hard to try and, put yourself out into that position, even with all the cool filters on social media to make you look 75 years old now. Uh, you, it's just challenging to, to be able to do that. So I think the only answer is, is that once you come to this realization in your life, you're going to have to square up to it and decide, all right, well, this is probably what I should have done. I, I made a mistake. I regret doing that. What are my options? Well, what can I do to fix this? And then based off of that, what do things look like? I can't change that at this point. I am there. Short of winning the lottery, short of Ed McMahon showing up on my doorstep, I can't fix that. All right. So certainly putting money away is a regret or not putting money away, I should say, is a regret. Let's go to a different angle here a little bit, Dame, because this one's a little tougher for a lot of people. And that is a an investment decision you did make versus an investment decision you did not make. And, and, and to, to make this somewhat pertinent, let's just go the crypto route because I think, or, or, or meme stock investing where you have regret, you have the FOMO, the, the, the FOMO driven decisions that, that can hurt you, that can, can have your money cut in half overnight. Or the other side is you thought about buying $10,000 worth of Bitcoin six years ago and, and you didn't, and you, you could be a millionaire. And, and so how, how do you coach people around not actually tying up the value of an investment based on its market value? One of those, one of those scenarios that you just listed are much easier to deal with than the other. Uh, one where, you know what, I should have bought $10,000 and now I'd be a millionaire. Eh, you know what? I, I should have, man, that would have been great. But I, I will say, little... I, I agree, but I, I think you and I both have run across people that actually can't get past that. Like I have, I mean, I have, and it, and it should be easier, but for some people, they'll just tell you about it forever. Yeah. So I guess if we're going to look at those people on either side of those equations, having uh, an equal amount of um, regret for this, 
again, I think you have to look at, okay, this is something that could or should have or shouldn't have done in the past. Maybe I learned a very expensive lesson. Maybe I'm um, going to have that little nagging thought in the back of my mind on what could have been uh, if I'd just done this or that. But at that point, it's time to you know start building those habits that are going to lead to success in the future. Uh, and I, I think you've got to just start accepting some of that stuff and uh, and move on. I, I see. This is why I happen to think financial advisors are so wickedly important for most people. Because Dame, I want to take both sides of this thing. Imagine you um, lost a lot of money because mm-hmm. you made a bad trading decision. And so the regret is I lost a bunch of money. It's conceivable that you learned something from that. It's also possible that it creates a sense of urgency to be right. It's this, you know, pent up desire to be proven right. And so it's like, ah, well, I got to be bolder when in reality, you don't need to be bolder. You probably need to be more conservative. And that's the lesson to learn. But let's go to the other side. And this is what's terrifying. When you didn't invest and you feel like you should have invested in a specific thing. And you miss that run. So now your, your, your ears are up and you're looking for what is the next rocket ship. That is regret that leads to terrible decisions. Yeah, That's terrifying because, because that's what has happened in the last three years is that, you know, AMC takes off and now it's like, okay, well, what's the hot one now? It's bed, bath and beyond. Like, what is it? Right. Yeah. So you do need that, that, voice of of moderation and consistency in your life if you're trying to do this all on your own and you recognize some of these weaknesses be upfront with yourself and say you know i just need to bounce some some ideas off of everybody else or somebody else and hopefully you don't find that person online who's going to try and sell you stuff that you don't need but help ask for help get some guidance uh, and i'm i'm not saying that you're you know you, you've got big issues but you can't expect be expected to be an expert in everything and investing is one of those things where people get really hung up because it's got emotion it's got money it's got all sorts of things that are going to bring us to incredible points of weakness to make bad decisions and sometimes that voice can help guide you through you know when we were uh, doing our pre-production meeting 30 seconds before air and we, we, we sort of tied urgency and, and regret together. It seemed like a good idea, but now the more we talk about it, it's actually more terrifying, right? It's, it's more, they are more linked that when you don't show the right amount of urgency or you put urgency towards the wrong matter, those are what can lead to regret as much as we love to come on the show every week and tell everyone don't go into debt make a budget save for the future it's not that simple because we got to battle our own brains as we try to do these things coming up after the break biggest waste of money of the week and the news right here on the pete the planner show um all right we have a coworker in Portland, Oregon right now, two coworkers in Portland, Oregon right now at a conference. And last night, one of those coworkers sent me a text. Uh, it was a selfie with him and one of my high school friends who randomly was at this conference in Portland. It was sort of a weird, and I haven't seen this person in a long time, but it's just sort of weird. Coworker, high school friend, both in the Pacific Northwest in a picture together. It was a 
my it blew my brains is the uh the friend still local to you now or have they have they migrated somewhere else and it was just a pure random well i still ran it but they they live in indianapolis i believe too yeah. but so they just were both at the same conference i don't know just sort of weird maybe it's not maybe that's not interesting have you ever and maybe that's is what this, this is what this show is have you ever heard a story that just isn't interesting and you're like man i am curious as to why that person shared that story I, I believe I just experienced that. I feel like I am the person that gives those stories and then really is, and then is left with the why in the world that I think that was interesting after the words left my mouth. Uh, you and I have had hundreds, if not thousands of hours of conversation, mm-hmm. right? I don't feel that way about you. Really? Yeah. I don't think you tell un- uninteresting stories at all. I think my stories are incredibly boring and lame. I disagree. Like I would tell you, I mean, it would be quite rude. <laughs> But no, dude, I know so many people that will tell you a story like they'll be like, well, we were on our way to Tennessee. Um, we left on a Tuesday. Now, wait a second. We left on a Monday because I went to the post office. No, it, it was actually it was a Tuesday and we stopped at Cracker Barrel and our waitress had a son that went to Cornell. And it's just like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> Unless the end of the story is they turned into a unicorn and flew off and sprinkled dust all over the, you know, the, the rust belt. I don't care. Is that I, uh, rude for not caring about that terrible story? No, I, I had a friend who told me uh, at one point that if you find yourself in a position like that, just end the story with, and then I found $5 to try and pick things up uh, on the, on the backside just to try. Oh, you found $5. And then it's a great technique. Uh, oh, oh. Look at this. What do you think, Dame? I I, I love the uh, visual reference that I'm giving to the podcast listeners right yeah, now. Yeah, so they love this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. A little inside baseball. Uh, hi, Dame's mom. All right. So, um, Dame, let's do the final segment. I mean, I know Jeremiah may or may not be here, but I know there's other things to get done in the day. Wouldn't so. that be really funny if he had things to do and left early? Yeah, probably. That'd be best. Yeah, dude, I don't think you tell bad stories. I don't want you. I mean, I, I, I have several other criticisms of you. That's not one of them. I have. I, I will be very transparent. I have listened to podcasts about how to tell better stories. I don't think you tell bad stories. Hmm. Well, but you know what? The worst thing is, is someone who thinks they tell good stories and they're <laughs> bad. Like I could actually be in that camp. You know what I mean? Like it's more, frankly, being honest, it is more likely that I'm in that camp than it is that you are in the bad storytelling camp. Cause I think you tell, I, I, I like your story. Yeah. But see, you've got one really big advantage and that's delivery. You're, you're, you can deliver something. And so yeah. even if it's an average story, you bring it up just by being you. Here's how you tell, make sure you don't tell bad stories. This is my, this is, these are my tips. Number one, don't disagree with your own story. Don't revise the details once they come out. People love to do that and it makes for a terrible story. That's where it's like, well, last Tuesday and it's like, no, oh, actually. And then you're debating yourself and the person's like, hey, I found $5. Doesn't matter. Second right. thing is you've got to change your tone. You've got to, you, you got to change your pace. You're going to be going to go a little faster. Like that, that, that makes for a better story because the second I'm, I'm going through this all of a sudden people are like oh yeah i know people that don't do either of those two things and their stories are terrible thanks for joining this ted talk with peter dunn at one point i aspired to give a ted talk 
And then I realized that it was only driven by narcissism. And I have literally no desire to give a TED talk at this point. I was, I was just about to ask if that perspective has changed and now you feel like you might do a TED talk, but you answered that question already. Um, I mean, but I'm going to like, I'm, I'm disclaiming narcissism on the Pete, the planner show live on the internet. Like <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not a narcissist anymore. Tune into my, this is what happens when Kristen's not on the show. It told, I was actually just thinking about <laughs> how, how Kristen could have potentially saved this from happening, but I, I don't, you know, I bet she's just not feeling well because she hasn't even jumped up in the comments. You know I, hope she's, I hope she, I told her to go back to bed. So hopefully she's, I hope that. she is not listening to us. That's the last thing she needs right now. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's finish this. Let's, let's finish this thing. Finish it. In three, two, one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is the Barber Wax Dog Coat. Barber is applying the same care and quality they put into their wax coats for man to outfit his best friend. The Wax Dog Coat uses the brand's signature waxed cotton to create a rugged, water-resistant shell. Lightweight cotton and the iconic tartan print lines the underneath, providing enough warmth for the cool autumn months, while a cord collar adds a sophisticated detail. Mm. Timeout. Mm. Um, how much sophistication <laughs> does a dog coat need? Like, like is it someone to be like, oh, that's not formal enough um, yeah. to be at the Met? Like, what, what, or the vet for that matter? For a secured fit, it's fastened with a Velcro strap around the neck and a belted buckle under belly. Dame, I admit, when we had a dog, uh, whether it was Otis or Ernie, our pugs, I, we did occasionally dress them in mm-hmm. things, Colts jerseys, golf shirts. Uh, Otis was a rabbi for Halloween one year. He had a, a yarmulke and a prayer cloth. You know, just pretty standard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm also, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I, so I don't, I don't know why that choice was made. Um, do you dress your animals in coats and things? Uh, usually sweaters, uh, in the, the winter because it, it does get cold and they don't have a lot of fur. So, uh, it's, it's a good, and we do have coats, not waxed, uh, cotton or waxed canvas, but we do have, have, uh, little blanket coats that we, we can put on them. Have you ever called your skin a coat? No. And yet we call a dog's outer wardrobe a coat. Do we not? A coat of fur. I don't think. Uh, I think there's skin and then a coat of fur. What I'm saying is like, why? Why have two coats? What do you think this thing costs? Uh, One twenty nine ninety five. We've had several people in the in the live chat on Facebook guess it correctly. It's seventy nine ninety nine. Okay, you, there's some something going on there. There's no way multiple people got this right. Dame, what's in the news this week? Nextel Development is listing a penthouse at Manhattan's Central Park Tower, a triplex more than 1,400 feet up, at $250 million. That's the what? highest current listing price in the United States, according to Zillow, topping the $225 million asked for Michael Eisner's California estate. If a buyer pays the price, the condo will become the country's most expensive home, breaking the record set when a condo across the street sold for about $238 million. Now, Pete... I know you're wondering what the mortgage payment on this would be. 
So I am. What, did you see the square footage or not? For, uh, <clears throat> it says it's just fourteen hundred feet up. So no, I don't know okay. uh, the square foot of the 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 property itself. Okay. Um, assuming you put twenty percent down and went with a thirty-year option. You're looking at a number between 1.1 and 1.2 million dollars a month. That doesn't, of course, count taxes, insurance, fees, and probably what is the most ridiculous HOA ever. Yeah, I bet it's amazing. I, I bet I bet it's amazing. But at what point in time, like how many people can actually afford that? What do you think? How many people can afford 1.3 million dollars a month? Probably more than we we would like to admit. But that was yeah, probably more than we would guess. Wow. That's that's a lot. I, okay, so uh, I, I give you a gift certificate for a house, two hundred fifty million, and the two choices in front of you are California Estate or New York Penthouse. Those are your only two choices. Don't try to deviate from this. Which do you choose? This is a great question, by the way. Oh man, uh, California, because I can still get to some wide open space. I could I could live almost anywhere in California. It wouldn't have to be on the coast, so I could move. Uh... Uh, Central California or uh, Eastern. I'm on the fence. I I I think I might choose the penthouse. I, I love mean, New York. The penthouse would be just amazing. The views would be astonishing. I, I there's a lot going for it there, but I would still be in New York. And I one of my my favorite phrases is like walking across the street in New York, and someone honks at you, and you go, "I'm walking here." You can't do that at a California estate. I mean, no point in time does it make any sense. Hey, I'm walking here. You can't. Well, you do don't that. think you don't think people from New York visit California? I don't know. I just feel like if you got that much space at a California estate, at no point in time you're going, "I'm walking here." Say whatever you want. You'll probably own hundreds and hundreds of acres for two hundred and fifty million dollars in lots of parts of California. What else is in the news? More than 1,600 merchants, including Walmart and Target, are urging U.S. lawmakers to pass legislation that aims to break the hold that Visa and MasterCard have over the credit card market. The bill would give merchants the right to route many credit card payments over networks other than Visa and MasterCard. In a letter this week to all members of Congress, the merchants said the proposed legislation would increase competition, leading to a reduction in the fees they pay when they accept credit cards, the merchants said the fees are passed along to consumers in the form of higher prices. Quote, swipe fees for credit cards are higher in the United States than anywhere else in the industrialized world, more than seven times as high as Europe, said the merchant group, which includes a diverse uh, assortment of small businesses such as gas stations, restaurants, and grocers, along with giant chain retailers. Quote, in 2021 alone, U.S. merchants and consumers paid nearly $138 billion in credit card fees. Looking for the downside. I'm looking for the downside and I cannot find it. These, these bespeckled eyes of mine cannot find the downside to this story. Dame, this is like, come on. Like, unless the lo- the credit card lobby is as powerful as we all know it is. Like, come on, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. So, unless you own a Visa or MasterCard stock, then there might be some downside to this. But as okay, a consumer, look, yeah. And what's the it. downside? Can you think of it? No. I I mean, transactions are going to happen. Who? I don't care if it's uh, it takes 0. 0.05 seconds for that transaction to be completed or 0. 0.5 seconds for that transaction to be completed. If the lines are a little bit slower with, with a different company, who cares? It's still going to get done. Conceivably, here's where I think this gets bad, but I think it's actually for the merchants. What In order to process all these different sorts of cards... You would need the equipment and software and infrastructure to deal with that many different sort of 
languages, if you will. So that's true. It feels like, and which would be more expensive, which then they would just, when they just pass that cost on to the consumer anyway, maybe is that, is that the argument? But what the merchants had to have thought of that. I would think, I mean, some, some, I mean, some of those fees probably go back into helping support rewards programs for, for different credit cards and, and all that oh, I mean, yeah. on top of the annual fees that some cards come with. So I'm, I would imagine there's gotta be room for a, you know, very low fee credit card transfer system. It clear, clearly there is, it works in Europe. So the, the, there must be something there. What else is in the news? Americans as a whole have in, experienced two years in a row of flat or declining household income. New government data showed on Tuesday reflecting the pandemic's lingering economic pain as inflation is also taking the largest bite out of pocketbooks in four decades. In its annual assessment, the nation's financial well-being, uh, the Census Bureau said median household income of about $70,800 in 2021 wasn't different in statistically significant ways from the inflation-adjusted 2020 estimate of about $71,200. The lack of any real growth for 2021 follows a decrease in incomes recorded in 2020, the first year of the pandemic. Totals in 2020 and 2021 were boosted by significant government spending in response to the pandemic that helped reduce poverty. Okay, here we go, Pete. The Census Bureau said incomes were highest in the West at about $79,400. The Northeast at about $77,500, followed by the Midwest at $71,100, and the South at $63,400. That makes the Brett Favre situation much worse. Yes. So... I'm going to show my general lack of un, uh, lack of intelligence here. Uh, I am both surprised by this news story and not surprised whatsoever. So it just shows you how not <laughs> smart I am because I'm surprised because I felt like all the news stories were saying that incomes were going up because people, there was job mobility and oh. the great resignation. But, but then on an inflation adjusted mark, what you're seeing is, insignificant changes because of the the buying power of that money. And then, and clearly you're seeing that the corporate America job changing isn't affecting maybe other aspects of, of income. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, that's all we have time for this week on the Pete, the planner show. We appreciate you listening and we're sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in our budget. I'm Pete, the planner, and this is the Pete, the planner show. Um, you know, this week when the show airs locally in Indianapolis, my soccer team, my girls' soccer team, will all be driving to their game. And I wonder if any of the family, none of the girls on the team really know what I do for a living. Uh, you know, I don't even know what I do for a living. And I wonder if that would be weird as they're going to warm up, if they hear my voice, and if that will freak them out. You really think some of their parents listen to the show? Uh, I think they do, but I would also note that if you're driving around with a 13-year-old daughter, listening to a talk radio station on a Sunday is probably not your jam. And if you are, I can almost guarantee they've got earbuds in listening to something else on their phone. It's a great point. It's a great point. It's my own narcissism that just has me feel like I'm being noticed by my players. No. All right, Dame. Um, I got to go. I mean, it's nothing against Jeremiah or anything he represents, but I have to go. Uh, Rick's got the answer, by the way. Uh, Appalachian Mountains, buy a mountain or two with that kind of money and uh, live a sweet life. Yeah, there it is.
You don't realize, and this this is not a negative comment, this is an observation, an empathetic observation. You don't realize how much lower the income is in the South than even the Midwest until you, you hear a story like that. I mean, that that's, that is glaring. Yeah, I, just to think about the different lifestyles and different values that people lead, it, it all starts to make sense once you see the income disparities that, that people have. All right, Dame, have a good weekend, my friend. Everyone else, stay getting money.